Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Uh, kids, if you didn't uh, figure it out, it's time for you to go, or you can hang out here. That's awesome as well. Um, so there is a, a I think, increasing uh, piece of our population right now, and those are people we call preppers. And maybe some of you are preppers, and there's a lot of wisdom in some of that prepping, but there are those who are gathering uh, canned food or toilet paper. You know, remember when that happened, there were people, like, prepping for, you know... Uh, Lots of toilet paper or water. I've been uh, in people's houses before and seen like big tubs that they just put under the house and store water for years and years just in case they need it. Or we have some friends that put in a well and put a hand pump on it just in case they will need that. And this prepping is a good idea. Um, and right now we're in, I think this goes up and down. The 80s, people prepped by building like bomb shelters. And now people are prepping in, in some different ways. Ammo. You know, especially in this area, people are stocking up on ammo so that they can either guard their stuff or hunt or both. Um, but let me ask this question. Are you spiritually prepped? Uh, you know, a lot of times we as Christians, we can do all this other prepping. And again, I think there's some wisdom in that. But are we spiritually prepared for a crisis? So you may be wondering why I'm so cool today. By the way, these are coming back. Uh, if you're on the, the podcast, this is a fanny pack, um, and they are cool again. For many years, I wanted one, and I wasn't allowed to get one because Brendan and Callie said they're not cool. Then last Christmas, he asked for one for Christmas, um, and we got him this one, and he wanted one more retro, so I got to keep this one. So they're cool. If you want to start wearing them, they're back, um, and, and I'm going to lead that charge. Anyway, what I have here is a spiritual prep kit. And we'll look at this a little bit. And what we're going to do is talk about crisis. Are you ready when a crisis hits? Now, many of us would say we're in a crisis right now. And I think many would say our country is in a crisis right now. Hi, Jeannie. <laughs> and I would ask, are you ready for the crisis? And if you're not, let me warn you, if you're not in a crisis now, there's one coming. I mean, I think we can all say this. Uh, if we're not in a crisis, there's always kind of one maybe right on the horizon, uh, whether it's cancer, uh, whether it's a, a wayward child uh, at any age, uh, whether it's government stuff going on. There are often crises, and are we spiritually prepared to go through those? Turn to Acts chapter 4, if you would. Because in Acts 4, we're going to see the first disciples go through a crisis. And in James, this is Jesus' half-brother, James 1-2, James writes this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So James tells us that a crisis or a trial is just that a test of our faith. And what do we do in school for tests? We study, right? We study, we prepare, we get ready, ideally, unless you don't want to pass the class or you have a high enough grade that you can fail that one. Well, we don't want to fail the, the test that comes through trials in life, and we want to be ready. And we see here that it is a test of our faith. And let me tell you, the enemy wants to use these same crises, these trials, to distract us to put us on the sideline, whereas God, as we see here, he wants to use those tests, those trials, these crises to do something in us and through us. And so these are a test of faith, and I want us to all be spiritual preppers. 
I want us to be ready. And as we go through, we're going to notice something. That these disciples, they had their spiritual prep kit ready. You know, when the crisis hit, they were ready for it. They weren't then scrambling, going, oh, no, what do we do? They had these things in line. And we're going to see five points of how they were ready for the crisis. And I encourage you, as we go through this, prayerfully consider, do you have these five things ready so that you can glorify God in the midst of a crisis? Let's pray. Father, we uh, are so encouraged by your word. God, I'm so encouraged by the songs we just sang. You are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. God, we are your children. You are our father. You love us more than anybody ever has. You proved it by sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. And then you glorified him. You rose him from the dead. God, we love you. And we want to honor you right now. We are in a crisis. In many ways, our country is in a crisis. Some are feeling it more than others. But God, we want to glorify you. As Jesus asked before he went to the cross, he said, Father, glorify yourself. And you responded, you said, I've glorified my name and I will glorify it again. And that's what we want. We want you to glorify your name in us and through us, regardless of the circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in Acts 4, here's what we just saw. Peter and John, they go to the temple to pray. And as they go in, there's a lame man. They heal him. Actually, Jesus heals him. He gets up, goes skipping around throughout the temple. I mean, leaping. And then you look back at the Old Testament, which prophesied this is going to happen in, in the end times. When the Messiah comes, the lame will leap like a deer. And here's this guy leaping around in the temple. And so then Peter preaches a sermon and the church grows even more. So, you know, arguably close to 25% of Jerusalem is now following Jesus at this point. Well, the religious leaders, they grab them, and they take them in, and, and Peter then has this conversation with them, with these leaders. But here's, let's, let's look at that interaction. So again, they were arrested, we talked about this two weeks ago, really for claiming that Jesus is the only way. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week was an awesome prayer time together, but we kind of landed on why were they against them, and why are people against us? Not that we're religious or spiritual, but that we believe Jesus is exclusively the only way to salvation. And we believe that because that's what the Bible clearly teaches. And it also makes sense. And so they bring them before them. And look at what happens, starting in verse 15. Acts 4, verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. This is the religious leaders conferring with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Time out. That's interesting. This man is, is running and leaping, and they're seeing it too. They cannot deny it. They are choosing not to believe. And we're going to see that more as the weeks go on. This is clear and obvious. They're making a choice. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. This name is the name of Jesus. So they called him and they charged him not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So here we see a, 
a first really sign of civil disobedience. And this is a theme in the church right now. When do you disobey government? When do you disobey authorities? And here, this one's very clear. We as Christians have been told to teach about Jesus, to witness about Jesus. You know, Acts 1.8, the Great Commission at the end of every gospel says, go make disciples. You know, in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's the theme verse. You see that at our video at the beginning of the whole book of Acts, and it lays out God's plan. We're going to start at home here in Jerusalem. Then we're going to go to Judea. Then to that Samaria place where you hate all those people. Yeah, we're going to go there. And then we're going to go to the ends of the earth. That's his plan to, to spread the gospel. And so we see that here. And right here, they've been told. Now the authorities are saying, don't teach in his name. And they say, hey, it's up to you. We'll obey God or you. You choose which we should do. You know, and again, that conversation is happening right now. Do we obey God or do we obey government? And where does that line fall? And I would say it falls when there are clear things in Scripture. Scripture doesn't say anything about masks. You know, so, so that claim of, of that, I would argue with that one. The Bible says nothing about that. We're called to, to worship, to gather, regardless. And now we're going to see here is a crisis, right? I mean, this is a serious crisis. These are the same people that just killed Jesus. So everything is not hunky-dory. You know, they, they are being threatened by people who can kill them, who just killed Jesus. And we're going to see coming up that uh, first it's Stephen. Stephen is the first martyr. He's ki killed. A great persecution comes out. So they are on the verge of crisis. They are in the midst of cri crisis. These threats that they're having are legitimate. They're, they're not just bolstering on their part or boasting. They are real threats. So what do they do? Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now we're going to look at five things that they do, five things in their their, their kit that, again, they had ready beforehand to walk through this. Now, I want to point something out. At the very end of this, the place is, is shaken. You know, they pray together, they go to God, and then the place is shaken. That right there is evidence. You know, you look in the Old Testament, when God shows up, things shake. Uh, this, this shaking and this, uh, you know, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, again, is just evidence that God was in favor of their prayer. 
It was him saying, I've heard your prayer, and I agree with it. Good job. Good prayer. I'm going to answer this. So the things that we see in them, and you don't always see this, by the way, in Acts and in other narratives of the Bible, sometimes it's telling you just what happened, but not telling you exactly how it should happen. These actions in this prayer, I think, show a good evidence of how it should happen because we see God's approval right at the end of this with the place shaking. So how can we glorify God in the midst of crisis? What's the first one? We share life with fellow believers. What did they do first? They went to their friends, right? They ran straight to their friends, their group. They got together. They had friends. They had people that they were sharing life with. Uh, This is the word fellowship. We talked about this a few weeks ago, about the habits of a spirit-filled church, fellowship. And fellowship, you know, if you've been in the church very long, often, you know, you have a fellowship hall. So after the service, you go have coffee together, and we're fellowshipping. That's part of it. But fellowship, uh, New Testament fellowship, is way deeper. It's sharing life and mission. You know, real fellowship is friendship, where when I see sin in your life, I call it out. In a loving way, not because I'm better than you. You know, or you see something in my life, you call it, like, that's part of fellowship. Fellowship is that we own this mission of being a witness together. That we look out at our city and we love our city. We love our communities. We look at this area and go, it's 95% unchurched. That breaks our hearts. And together we say, we have to do something about this. They need Jesus. God loves them. God wants to be in their lives like he's in ours. And so we go together. That, that's fellowship. It includes our lives and the mission together. And who do they go to? Their friends. I think this is neat. It doesn't say they go to the church. They go to their friends. Now, these are fellow believers, you know, because fellow believers have the same worldview and and can share uh, the same ambition for the kingdom and for each other, but they go to their friends. You know, this is why we at Common Ground, we think this is such a big deal. Groups are central. And it's also why we encourage you to try different groups. You know, each semester we'll do group, and at the end of the semester, you know, we'll give you the opportunity. Do you want to continue with this group or try another one? And I know that can be awkward, yeah, of like, well, I want to go try a different one. You guys are just okay. But that's, not, that's really not it at all. You know, just because we're all believers doesn't mean we're all going to be buddies. You know what I mean? We can be on mission together, great. Like, we can love each other, but there's certain people we connect more with. You know, there are some of you that would love to hang out with me. There are others of you that you're like, I like common ground, but I don't really want to hang out with you. You're kind of weird. Um, fanny pack, example, right there. Um, it, but you know what? Like, that's okay. There's nothing wrong. So we want, we want these relationships where we do connect, where, where we are friends. And so they go to their friends. And so here's the first uh, piece of our kit. And, and I got a weekly calendar for this part. Because relationships... They need to take priority. And if you're anything like me, it needs to go on your calendar. You know, again, that's why we do groups this way, to help, you know, foster this. It, you know, but, but that's just one way to begin it. You know, and we've found that, that groups really do become organic. They kind of start organized. You put it down. But as those relationships grow, it becomes a little bit more organic. And you have those people you're quick to call when crisis hits. And that's what I would ask you. When a, if a crisis hit tomorrow, who would you call? Do you have those people? If not, you need to get some. And we have people in this room that would love to be that with you and, and for you. And so put it on your calendar. Or do you have those relationships? And again, this isn't a beat you over the head if you don't, but crisis is coming. We want to be there for you, getting a group, getting those relationships. So that's the first one. What's the second one? 
prioritize prayer. They run to their friends, and what do they do? They pray together. That's the first thing they do. They pray together. When a crisis hits, is your knee-jerk response prayer? Or is it handle it, fix it, deal with it? I'm a fixer. A lot of times I hear situations, I see them in my own life. My first knee-jerk is often, got to fix the situation, got to fix the circumstance. We look at what's going on in our country right now, and it's like, oh, we got to fix it by voting the right person in. Now, I would say we should vote. I mean, that's part of our responsibility, but guess what? Our hope is not in government. I mean, just look through history. That never fixes it. Our hope is in Jesus. We do these things, yes, absolutely, but... If we only want to fix a situation, we're we're missing what God wants to do in us. Remember what James said about trials, that they're a test, that God wants to actually do something in us. Look, before they prayed for a positive outcome around them, they prayed for a faithful spirit within them. Look at this prayer. They didn't ask for the circumstance to change. That's probably what I would pray for. They didn't ask for protection They didn't ask that the leaders' hearts would be softened, that they would accept the gospel and everything would change. I think they probably did pray for those things. You know, we're we're told elsewhere to pray for those things, and that's good, but it's not where they went first. First, they wanted a positive outcome within them, a faithful spirit within them before the circumstances change. And so for this one, in your kit, you know, cell phone. But this is an example of our our connection to God. It's kind of like it's in our pocket and it's on speaker, and so we're always in connection to God, is our knee-jerk to go to him and to go to him together. So that'd be like a conference call, I guess. Because they pray together. And so, connection to God, knee-jerk, that needs to be in our kit, ready. Do we go to prayer? And as I just said, we pray together. You know, kind of with that, this leads to the next one. But when a crisis hits, is your first thing, get over it, get through it, let's be done with it? Or is it, time out, God, what do you want to do with this? Because isn't the best time for your faith to grow in a crisis? Isn't the best opportunity for his kingdom through you in a time of crisis where others watch you go through it? So instead of going, oh, change it, God, what do you want to do with this? And that leads to this third one. This third one is see all things through the lens of God's sovereignty. See all things through the lens of God's sovereignty. Verse 24, when they get together, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. This is how they began their prayer, by remembering who God is. This is a big deal. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. If he made everything, is anything out of his control? That's their point here. You made it all. It's not like you made it all and then went, oh, no, I can't control it he's in control, he's sovereign, you know? And and then they go on here and they talk about uh, in verse uh, 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They're looking at the things around them going, God, you always knew this was going to happen and you had a plan to use it. You know, Jesus, did the people around choose to kill him? Absolutely. Was Judas responsible for his betrayal? Absolutely. Did God have a plan before the beginning of time to use that uh, to save us and glorify himself? Yes. So there's kind of this this overlap of of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. But God is always, always sovereign. He always has control. And so we see all things through the lens of God's sovereignty. So there, with this, we've got our sunglasses. 
You know, they, I wanted 3D glasses, but I couldn't find any. <laughs> but, but glasses, they change our perspective, right? You know, they change the way you see, everybody's a little bit shaded right now. But we want to view things, everything, through the lens of God's sovereignty. And if we have these glasses on, when a crisis hits, our knee-jerk is, all right, God, you are sovereign, so I trust you. What do you want to do with this? Rather than if we have them off, it might be, oh, what am I going to do? I, I'm freaking out. Everything's out of control. Nope, put your glasses on. Okay, whew. God, you're still in control. Ah, okay, you're in control. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one that's kind of schizophrenic like that. But, but I have to choose to put these on when life hits. Like, what are we going to do? Woe is me. Oh, okay, I, I get it. You're in control. I can trust you. So these need to be in your kit and arguably on all the time. But I'm not going to wear them all service. So do we trust that, as Scripture says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose? Do we trust that? Psalm 46.10. Here's a quiz. If you know it, say it in your head. Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Right? We all know that. Do you know the second half of that verse? We like to stop at that part. Be still and know that I am God. And you'll see that like on a plaque with like naked baby angels, you know, um, and everything's all peaceful all the time. Just be still and know that I am God. And you see that in our church. We get together and we're like, everything's good, yay. Uh, the second half of that verse says, says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's the second half of the same verse. Be still and know that I am God because I'm going to exalt myself. Our heartbeat as God's followers, as Jesus' followers, we want him to be glorified. So part of us being still and know that he is God is moving forward the mission of glorifying him. And us as the church, our mission of being a witness to Jesus. We do this because we're, you know, God wants to work in and through us. We are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. He's going to exalt himself. You know how he does it? Through you and me. And in that process, we can get distracted, we can get stressed. He says, be still and know that I am God, and then, and then keep going. Keep moving forward. Carry out the mission I have for you. God is still sovereign. So we can trust him in the midst of a crisis. Listen, if you truly understand the gospel, the test is how you go through crisis. Do you really understand the gospel? If, if life hits and your immediate is, is freak out, stress, worry, anxiousness, you failed the test, and that's okay. Okay, that's the point of a test sometimes, to reveal, okay, we need to grow a little bit. And that's okay if we then turn to God and continue on and let him grow us. So this moves now to number four. Know the scriptures. How can we be ready for a crisis? Know the scriptures. Now, again, we are blessed in this day and age to have it on our phone, you know, to have this one so small I can put in my pocket. We have access to God's word right here, right now. We can look it up. But even better is having some of those key ones memorized. Then the Holy Spirit can bring it to mind. If you don't have anything memorized, there's nothing there for the Holy Spirit to bring to mind when you need it. When you have some of those key verses memorized, God will use it. But we need the scriptures. This is, okay, we're putting this in our kit. Our kit's getting kind of full. It's a good kit. You should get one. But knowing the scriptures, what do they do? Look at verse 25 and 26. 25, he says, Through the mouth of your father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to quote a psalm. Or they, we don't know who's actually praying this prayer. 
but they quote a psalm. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? It's exactly what's happening around them right then. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord. Lord, there, that's, that's Yahweh, the one true God, and against his anointed, that's Jesus. And so they, David wrote this many, many hundreds of years before. This is what it's going to be like. When the Messiah comes, the descendant of David, the, uh, the prophet like Moses, the Messiah, when he comes, the rulers are going to come against him. And that's what's happening around them right now. They quote this to go, hey, listen, guys, here's what the word says. Look around. God's in control. He planned this from the beginning. That goes back to God's sovereignty. See how all these kind of go together? When we know God's word, we can look around and go, yeah, he's not surprised by this. He's been God a long time. He kind of knows how to deal with these things. So we know the scriptures. Let me give you a scripture for right now. Because right now, we are in a time of crisis. And some of us are really freaking out about what's going to happen. This election coming up. Listen to this. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. says this. But understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Does that sound like today? Now, I'm not saying that to, to say Jesus is coming back tomorrow, you know, but he might. But I will tell you, we are in the end times, and we see this around us right now, which means we can trust him. God knew we were going to be right here, right now, in 2020. He's not surprised. And if we know the word, we look at this and go, okay, we're there. You know, a lot of times, and I've seen this, I've seen people go through crisis and just fall apart lose their faith, lose their family, lose everything. I've seen others go through even worse crisis and grow in it, partly because of looking at Scripture, you know, where Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. All things will work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So we can go through. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Doesn't mean things will always be good or, or look good for us, but they'll work out for good. And again, knowing scripture, trusting God, being together enables us to move to number five. Obediently and boldly continue the mission. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Not look at their threats and deal with them. Look at their threats and give us boldness in the midst of it. Wow. And then, at the end, God answers their prayer, shakes the place, and what do they do? Second half of 31, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. How do you make it through a crisis? Continue on the mission, right? So for this one, we've got a jersey. You know, we're on a team. It's God's team. We have a mission. And so we keep the jersey on. When crisis hits, a lot of times, and I've seen this over and over, a lot of times we pull back. And maybe you've done this, maybe I've done this. Life hits, and it's like, I need to pull back. You know, maybe stop going to church. You're in a small group. You stop going to your group. You stop with those really deep relationships with you need, 
you need, I'm going to pull back and I'm going to deal with this stuff. And when this stuff gets worked out, then I'll enter back into to church life, to mission, whatever. No, the way to make it through is to view it from God's perspective and keep going. I mean, the enemy, that's what he wants. He wants you to take your jersey off and sit on the bench and go, when things get better, then I'll get back in. No, we keep the jersey on, we keep through, because that's when it gets tough. I mean, that's when things really happen. It's like a good football game. You know, when it gets tough, you're not like, oh, I'm going to, you know, they're hitting too hard, I'm going to sit on the bench. No, that's when you step up and you take it through. Uh, I looked this up, Brett Favre, great example. He was a Packer, but don't hold that against him. Uh, You know, when he was in his senior year of college, got in a car accident, had major surgery, I think a, a big section of his intestines was removed. Um, and he was far from healed when he entered back in and kept playing and, and I think led his team to great games, whatever. NFL, he played for a broken thumb, I don't know how many games, <laughs> continued to play. Uh, ankle, needed serious surgery, played all season, got the surgery at the end. He's just one of those that sets that example of I'm broken and I'm beat up, but we got to win. And he set the record, I don't know if he still has it, for most consecutive starts, 297 or something like that. You know, and that's just football, who cares? But what about us? You know, when life hits and we get wounded, do we play through trusting God or do we want to take the jersey off and take a break? That is the worst way to go through a crisis, by removing yourself from God's people and what God is doing. God will use you probably most during a crisis, which is why when you have the whole kit, let's just put the whole kit on. No, let's not. It's going to fall apart. But, but when you have that whole kit on, you can go through it with all those things, viewing what God would do, and then you, you ask that question, God, what do you want to do through this? And then you'll make it. So my question is, do we have these five things in place? If you're not in a crisis, one is coming. And if you're not ready, get ready. Are you missing any one of these five? Fix it. <laughs> go to God. Help him. We would love to help you. If you don't know where to start, you know, take your bulletin that came in, fill out your information, you know, put, you, you want to get in community, put a group, we'll get a hold of you. If you don't know where to start, put that on there, just mark other, I don't know where to start, put your phone number, I'll call you, we'll get a hold of you, we'll work it out, but we are going to go through this together. If you're not in one, one's coming, let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you that you are sovereign, um, I thank you for the tools that you give us, you give us your word, you're not surprised by the things that happen. You give us one another. Others have been through what we've been through. Others are willing to go through with us. And God, you've made us all so different. You know, when we go through crisis, you've given us people within the body that are going to come bring a meal. You've given us others that will will pray. You've given us others, and we don't like them as much, who will come tell us truth, you know, and and point us your direction. But we need all of this. I thank you for the body, for all of us and the different gifts. And I pray that we would use them for each other. God, In a time of crisis, and you see it throughout history and the word, you do great things. And God, many of us are in crisis right now. And we would argue our our country is in crisis right now. We ask you to move and do great things, and we want to be part of it. We are willing to follow you. We are willing to be used by you. Show us where we can be used by you, where we can enter in. And God, if there's anything in our heart that needs to change, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would change it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know,